You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado from our series, An Anchor for the Soul. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Whitefields. We're glad you're here with us this morning. Please open with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews in your New Testament. You can go there. If you're in your phone, just look for it in the New Testament. If you are using a paper Bible, you've got a table of contents there. Or you can just do what I do and just flip around until you find it. And uh, anyway, we have been studying the book of Hebrews for the last several weeks. We're getting towards the end of it, really. Uh, we're in chapter 10 this week. So I invite you one of the ways we like to study the Bible here at Whitefields is that we like to study verse by verse and chapter by chapter, go through an entire section of the Bible. i just tell you real quickly, you know, one of the things that we've been working on, eventually we want to have our own place, our own building, places dedicated for our worship services. And this past two weeks, we've been looking at a couple of places, and there's one place in particular that we've been looking at uh, that would maybe work for us. Our only concern is maybe it's a little too small. And it, we're actually at this interesting size where we need something big but we're not sure if we can afford what we need. And so we just, I just want you to pray about that. That's the only reason I'm telling you. Just know that we're looking actively and we want you to join us in praying that God would lead us to the right place and open the doors and, and provide and everything if that's what he wants for us. Here in the letter to the Hebrews, we have been studying it. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible because it's a book that is all about how the Old Testament and the New Testament come together in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's all about Jesus. So throughout this letter, the writer has been encouraging us to embrace Jesus, to look to Jesus, to put our faith in Jesus, because Jesus alone is uniquely qualified to be the Savior that we need. But here in this section that we come to today, he gives us the kind of the other side of the coin. He gives us actually a very strong warning. It's one of the strongest warnings in the Bible about the danger of rejecting Jesus. And so along with that, though, that's not all he does. He also gives us a very strong word of encouragement. So let's read our text today, and then we'll get into our study. Our text comes from Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 26 and to the end of the chapter. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plunder of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding possession. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has such a great reward, for you need endurance so that when you have done the will of God you may receive what is promised for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay but my righteous one shall live by faith if he shrinks back my soul has no pleasure in him but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and preserve their souls this is God's word let's pray 
Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray that uh, as we read this warning and these words, Lord, that we would take them to heart, Lord, that you'd speak to us, and that we would understand what these words mean and how they apply to our lives. So, Lord, we ask that you just enlighten the eyes of our hearts so we might see glorious things in your word today. Lord, we, we ask that you would speak to us. We are here to hear from you, and so, Lord, we look forward to how you're going to speak to us and transform us as we study your word, and we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. So I read a sign this week that was uh, posted outside a convent. I mean, I wasn't at the convent. I saw it on the internet. And uh, it's a convent, right, where nuns live. And this is what the sign said outside the convent. Absolutely no trespassing. Violators will be persecuted to the full extent of the law. Signed, the Sisters of Mercy. The Sisters of Mercy, you know, with a name like that. But they're like, no, we will show no mercy. To anyone who trespasses, it's a little bit ironic, right? Considering their name, you'd think they'd be a little bit more merciful, but they're not. And this passage that we have here today kind of strikes some of us in the same way as that sign. You're like, here we've been reading about Jesus. He's our faithful high priest. He's our merciful high priest. He's the one who can sympathize with us in our weakness because he knows what it's like to walk a mile in our shoes. And he he loves us so much that he gave his life for us so that we could boldly enter into the presence of God. And in him, there's no more condemnation. And, And he tore down all the barriers that existed between us and God. And he took the judgment that we deserved so we can have life and hope and joy and he did it all out of pure love and pure goodness and pure grace and then we come to this passage which tells us that if we go on sinning deliberately then there's no hope for us the Lord will judge his people and it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God and that makes us go wait a second what just happened what happened to the God of love what happened to the God of mercy what happened to the encouragement and the affirmation that I'm secure and I can be confident in my salvation here's the thing I want you to know and, and think about If you really care about somebody, sometimes the most loving thing you can do is to warn them, is to warn them so they don't do something which will end up being bad for them, something through which they're going to end up hurt. I love my kids. That's why I tell my kids to look both ways before they cross the street. I warn them of what could happen if they don't. I was at a conference. I was remembering this. I was at a conference last year in Ukraine. And I was at this conference center. It's this big complex and it has multiple buildings. I had gone to bed and it was just past midnight and then my phone, you know, beeped that, hey, I'm a, it's about to run out of batteries. And I remember that I left my phone charger in this other building on the property. So I said, okay, well, I'm just going to get up. I'll run over to that other building. I'll get my phone charger. Then I'll come back. I'll charge my phone overnight. So I'm getting ready to go out the, bu- out the door of this building outside to, you know, run over to this other building. And this guy comes up and he stops me and he says, no, you can't go out there. You, you cannot go out there. And I'm like, why? And he says, well, because at midnight, they let out these attack dogs to guard the property. And if you go out there, they're going to attack you. Now, here's this guy telling me what to do. It's like, hey, man, you trying to stop me from doing what I want to do? I am a grown person. Like, I make my own decisions. Who do you think you are telling me what I should and shouldn't do? I decide what I will do. Nobody tells me what I shouldn't, should and shouldn't do. But, of course, that would be to disregard the very fact of why this person was telling me not to do this thing. It was because he didn't want me to get hurt. It's because he actually cared enough to warn me and to stop me from doing something which would end up with me being hurt. Now, on the, uh, on the other hand, if this person hadn't said something, right? Like if he knew about the attack dogs and then he saw me going out the door and he's like, eh, this will be interesting. And then he just watched me from the window. Oh, well, then I would conclude that he did not care about me very much. And, you know, he didn't care if I got hurt. All those warning labels on all those products you use, they're there because somebody thought 
you know, I really should, we really should care enough about people to tell them about the risks and the dangers involved. Now, you may not heed those warnings, but at least you need to know about them. See, we call that full disclosure. Full disclosure, it's the full picture. It's so you can know and make a wise and right decision, an informed decision. Now, the writer of this letter, he's wanting those who read this letter to make a decision about Jesus. That's why this letter was written. He's been telling us who Jesus is and what Jesus did and what it means for your life and my life. And the goal of all of this is so that you would see Jesus and you would embrace him and you would put your faith in him, in the good news of the gospel. That good news that the God of the universe, the God who created you, the God who sustains your life every moment of every day, that he absolutely loves you, that he loves you so much much that he himself came in order to meet your greatest need, which only he could meet. He sacrificed himself so that you could be forgiven, so you could receive a new status and a new destiny. And he gives this all to you as a gift. It's not something you have to earn. It's not something you can deserve. It's his gift to you. That's what grace means. And if you receive that gift, then all of those blessings are yours. But the question is, and we have to ask this question, well, what if you reject that gift? What if you don't receive that gift? What if you reject it? Then what happens? The title of today's message is Full Disclosure. And there are two big things that this section teaches us as we read it. Number one, true love cares enough to speak. True love cares enough to speak. And number two, real faith has legs. Real faith has legs. So number one, true love cares enough to speak. So there's this reality TV show out there. I don't know if some of you have probably seen it. It's been on for years. It's called Intervention. And so what happens during this show is the basic premise, there's somebody who's living their life in a way that's they're just ruining themselves. They're, they're doing things that's hurting other people or potentially hurting themselves. And so their family members say, too much, this is enough. We need to step in. We need to do something. So they get together and they organize an intervention. And in, the, in a way, you could say that the book of Hebrews is kind of like an intervention. Right? The writer is writing this book to people who are heading in the wrong direction. They're heading away from Jesus. And this letter says, hey, listen, because I love you, I need to tell you this. I need you to know this. If you keep going in the direction you're going in, it's going to be bad. It's not going to end well. You're going to end up making the biggest mistake of your life, something which you will literally regret for eternity. See, he's trying to get them to change direction because it's not too late yet. He's trying to get them to change direction before it is too late. He wants them to stop moving away from Jesus and instead turn to Jesus and look to him and trust in him and put their hope in him. And that's why the focus of this book is about helping us see who Jesus is and what he has done. And so at an intervention meeting, here's how it generally goes in these intervention meetings. The family will begin by talking about all the benefits, all the benefits that this person will experience if they do, you know, stop that behavior or do change their course and live differently. And they'll try to convince them, here's why you need to change. Here's why you need to do this. They'll try to help them see why it's necessary and good. And they'll give them also a lot of positive affirmation. You know, they'll tell them, hey, we love you. That's why we're here. And we're going to be with you every step of the way if you decide to make this change. They'd be like, hey, we sympathize with you. We know where you're at. But, and we're here for you. But then the intervention isn't complete unless they also give them a stern warning. A stern warning that says, hey, look, now we love you. You really should change. Here's all the benefits. But also you need to know this. Here's what's going to happen if you don't, if you don't make this change. If you keep going the way you're going, here's what's going to happen. And let me tell you, that part of the intervention is no less loving 
than the other parts of the intervention. That warning that they give is absolutely motivated by love and by a concern and care for that person. And that's what we have in our text today. As part of this intervention, the author begins by saying, hey, look, here are the benefits. That's what we've been looking at for the whole book up until now. Here are the benefits of trusting in Jesus. Here's why you should put your faith in Jesus, why you need a Savior, and why Jesus alone is the Savior that you need. But now, and, and rightly so, and rightly and lovingly, he gives us the other side of the coin. He says, okay, but here's what will happen if you reject Jesus. Here's what will happen if you fail to put your faith in him. Or if you just fail to not make a decision. You know, not making a decision is, in fact, a decision. And so he says, full disclosure, there are very real consequences. And it wouldn't be fair, it wouldn't really be right of me to not tell you that part too. It wouldn't be fair if I didn't tell you that and warn you as well. So this chapter begins with a, a loving warning. In verse 26, he says this, If we go on sinning deliberately after having received the knowledge of the truth, then there is no longer, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but instead fearful expectation of judgment. Now what does that mean? What, what's he talking about? Does this mean that like if you become a Christian and you receive God's grace and your, and your sins are forgiven... But then after you become a Christian, like maybe you get baptized, and then after you get baptized, then you do something wrong. Even though you know it's wrong, right? Like so you break the speed limit, or you yell at your family members, or you tell a half-truth. Does that mean that then you lose your salvation? Because that's how some people have read this text, that you fall out of God's good grace. Now, of course, we shouldn't do those things. But that's not what this is saying. Okay, so the whole previous section that we looked at before this, in the, in the couple weeks before this, was all about how Jesus died so that we could be forgiven of our sins once and for all, right? So past, present, future. If you sin again next week, and you might, Jesus doesn't need to be crucified again. He was crucified once and for all, for all time. And so what that means is, is this. I think it's summed up well in, in 1 John chapter 2, where 1 John and John says this. He says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the propitiation for our sins. In other words, the best thing for us is to not sin. And God is working in our lives to change us and transform us into new people who have put the old ways behind us and have taken on a new life in Him, taken up His life. But the fact is, we are still broken people and sometimes we do the wrong thing. And sometimes we even do the wrong thing even, we, even though we know it's the wrong thing. And so what is this saying then? Well, if you look down at verse 29, you'll see that he's not just talking about any old kind of sin. He's talking about a very specific kind of sin that he describes in three aspects. He describes it in three aspects which are listed there in verse 29. He says, if you keep doing this, this sin, if you keep doing this deliberately, then there is nothing else that can be done to help you. There's no further sacrifice. There's no further Savior. If you continue doing this, then, then there's nothing else I can do. There's nothing else that will be done. Now what is he talking about? So let's look at the three aspects of this deliberate sin that he talks about in verse 29. So number one, he says, it's trampling underfoot the Son of God. Trampling underfoot the Son of God. So imagine with me that you're walking down the street and you see a $100 bill on the ground. In the snow or in the mud or whatever, you see a $100 bill on the ground. What are you going to do? Are you going to just keep walking, step right over it and just keep going? 
Now, you might, you might just keep walking or step over it if it was a piece of trash, but you wouldn't do that if it was a $100 bill. No way, you'd stop, you'd pick it up, you'd examine it, you'd want to see, is this thing real? And if it's real, then you're going to put it in your pocket. You're going to treasure it. You're going to celebrate it. You're going to Instagram it. You're going to, you're, going to, you're going to tweet it. And you're going to tell everybody, dude, I just found $100. Now let me ask you this. Would you do that if you found $20 on the ground? I mean, I would, right? Would you do it if you found $10 on the ground? If you found $1 on the ground, would you stop and pick it up and put it in your pocket and take it with you? Now how about, how about if you found coins on the ground? Would you stop if you found a penny in the gutter and would you pick it up? Now I know I would. I mean my kids, that's like that is like the best day of their life. Like if they could choose Disneyland or finding like three cents on the ground, they're probably gonna choose three pennies on the ground because that's pretty exciting, right? Now now what this is saying is to see Jesus and all that he did for you, to understand the gospel and then to look at it and say, nah, like I, I'm 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 going I'm doing my thing right now, right? Like if you would stop and pick up a dollar off the ground, but when it comes to Jesus, you just keep walking, then essentially what he's saying is you're treating the Son of God as if he is of no value, that what he did is of no value, that it's worthless, that it's like trash, and you just keep walking on by. Jesus, the Son of God, his greatest work, his ultimate accomplishment, which he did for you on your behalf, if you just walk on by that, if you reject that, if you treat it with indifference, he says it's like trampling the Son of God underfoot. And secondly, he says, profaning the blood of the covenant. So we've been talking the past couple weeks, we talked about how blood in the Bible represents two things. On the one hand, it represents guilt, but on the other hand, it represents life. And that's the message of the gospel, that Jesus Christ shed his blood, that he shed his blood, he died in order to cleanse us of our guilt and to give us new life in him. And to profane something means to take something that's special but treat it as if it's common, as if it's nothing special. It would be like if you went to the National Archive in Washington, D.C., and you took a declaration of the, you know, took the Declaration of Independence or the Magna Carta, which is also stored there, and you folded it up like a paper airplane and threw it across the room or you used it to blow your nose. You treat it like as if it was just any other kind of piece of paper. Last uh, weekend, I was up in Estes Park. I took my daughter horseback riding, and I got to talking to this guy. And uh, this guy was from Texas. He was there on vacation. And he had been in Estes for a week already. He had a couple days left on his vacation. And I asked him, so I was like, so have you been, um, did you go up in the park? And he's like, what park? I'm like, the, the national park. And he's like, oh, I didn't know there's a national park here. I was like, all right, well, did you go up in the mountains? And here's what he said. He said, oh, yeah, I didn't because I wasn't sure if they were any good. I'm like, you weren't sure if they were any good? This is the Rocky Mountains, man. This is the Rocky Mountain National Park, and you weren't sure if this was any good? Like, you, you got something better? Like, come on, man. It's like profaning the mountains. I was offended. To profane the blood of the covenant means to see it and understand it, who Jesus is, what he did, his blood shed for you, that the God of the universe left his heavenly throne and he came down to our world and he walked our dusty streets and he lived among us and he was nailed to a cross and his veins were opened up and he bled and he died and he rose again for you. And to look at that and say, eh, like, who cares? It's to treat it as if it's nothing special, like it's no big deal. And thirdly, he says, to outrage the spirit of grace. So Jesus told us that the role of the Holy Spirit is to testify of him, 
to remind of who he is, what he did, what he spoke, and what he said. The Holy Spirit in the world, Jesus tells us, his job, the work he's doing is to bring about conviction in people's hearts, to draw them to him, to bring about conviction in people's hearts and minds of the fact that you and I, we need a Savior, and that Jesus is the Savior that we need. But if you ignore that work of the Holy Spirit, if you resist it, if you say, no way, not going to do it, no thanks, to do that is an offense even an outrage, it says, to the spirit of grace. In 1829, there was a man named George Wilson. It's a true story. You can check it out online. George Wilson, he was convicted in the state of Pennsylvania of robbing the mail and threatening the life of the mail carrier. And for this crime, he was sentenced to be hanged. But fortunately for George Wilson, he had a friend who was friends with the president of the United States, who at the time was Andrew Jackson. And he got his friend to pull some strings and get him a presidential pardon, right? Like, so he was sentenced to death, but he got this presidential pardon. So Andrew Jackson gave him a pardon. But oddly enough, and this is the only time it's ever happened in U.S. history, George Wilson refused that pardon, that presidential pardon, to save his life. And well, the government wasn't sure what to do because on the one hand, they have this pardon from the President of the United States saying that this man should not be executed. But then this guy's like, no, I, I don't want the pardon. So do they still execute him even though he doesn't want to be pardoned? Like, he refused it. What do you do? This case actually went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court Justice, who at the time was a man named John Marshall, and he issued a ruling. And here's a quote from the actual ruling. It says this, a pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential. And delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered. And if it be rejected, we have discovered no power in a court to force it upon him. So George Wilson, against the desire and the efforts of the President of the United States, he was hanged in 19, or 1833 because he refused to accept the redemption that was granted to him, that was offered to him. See, to outrage the spirit of grace is to reject the pardon that God has offered you, to reject the work of Jesus, which alone can save you. So Jesus talked about something that a lot of people wonder about. Jesus talked about this thing that he called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He said, there's this one sin that's an unpardonable sin, the one thing that you can't be forgiven of. He said, all sins will be forgiven the children of men, except for one thing. This is the one unforgivable sin, to commit blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now what that means is that God is willing to forgive some pretty extreme stuff. God is willing to forgive people who commit murder. God's willing to forgive people who commit adultery. God's willing to forgive terrorists. But there's one thing that can't be forgiven. So what is that, right? Like, I want to know what that is because I want to make sure that I never do it because that sounds really bad. And I've talked to a lot of people who are like, I think I did it. Like, ugh. I think I did it. I think I did it on accident the other day. I was trying not to, but I think I committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, and now I feel like, I don't know what's going to happen. I guess I'm going to go to hell. It's kind of like this. If I would tell you, whatever you do, don't think about an elephant. Like, no, don't think about, don't think about his floppy ears. Don't think about his, you know, little tail. Don't think about his gray skin. Don't think about his long trunk. Don't, whatever you do, don't think about elephants. Now, of course, what is everybody thinking about? An elephant, no matter how hard you try, you're like, no, I can't. But then the whole time, you're just thinking about elephants. And so some people, they hear that there's this unpardonable sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And so they walk around all day telling themselves, don't commit the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Don't commit the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Don't commit the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Don't. 
Like, dang it, I just, I think I just did it. I did it on, I was trying not to, and then I just did it on accident. That's it. I'm going to hell. Toast. I'm done. Now, first of all, let me tell you this, in case you were wondering. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is absolutely not something you can do on accident, right? Like, it's not something you can do even though you're trying not to. Um, do you know what the unpardonable sin is? It's this. The unpardonable sin is to reject Jesus. See, the work of the Holy Spirit is to testify of Jesus, to draw us to Jesus, and to resist that is to commit that sin against the Holy Spirit. So what the writer of the Hebrews is telling us here in Hebrews chapter 10 when he says, if you go on deliberately rejecting Jesus, if you go on resisting the work of the Holy Spirit to bring you to a place of humble repentance before God where you embrace Jesus as your Savior and make him your Lord, if you resist that and you keep on going in that way, there's no other way for you to be saved. Now imagine if you had a child, right? Some of you do have children, so you, you can relate to this. If you had a child and in some kind of emergency, bad situation, you had to do the unthinkable. And in order to save a group of people, you had to sacrifice your own child. Now imagine if one of those people, after you did that, they looked over at you and said, hey, thanks, that was nice and all, but you know, uh, could you do something else as well? I was kind of thinking you could, you could save me a different way. Because, you know, I'm kind of nonconformist. I don't like to do what everybody's doing. I kind of like to go my own way, do my own thing. So I was kind of wondering, you know, I know you uh, just let your son die and stuff, but maybe you could save me a different way. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I'd be offended by that. Like, what? I just did everything. See, if you knowingly reject Jesus, that what this text is saying is that's the one unforgivable sin. There's nothing that can be done. There's, if you say, no thanks, I'm going to do it on my own. I think I can save myself another way. The fact is, the text is saying, you can't. Uh, the message of the gospel is that God himself, the judge of all the earth, came to this earth to take the judgment that you and I deserve so that we could be set free, so that our records could be cleared. And to reject that is saying, no, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to face the judgment myself. I'm just going to try and do this one on my own. And the writer of this letter is pleading with us. He's saying, no. Don't do that. Don't do that. Instead, embrace what God has done for you in Christ. And here's the thing I want to tell you about that. When it comes to embracing Jesus, when it comes to embracing the Savior who God has given for you, no one else can do that for you. You can't delegate that out to somebody else. Your parents can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. Your friends can't do it for you. Only you can take that step of embracing the gospel and putting your faith and trust in Jesus and what he did for you. So this is full disclosure. God loves you. He has done everything in order to save you. But if you reject that, if you don't want that, then all that remains, verse 27, is fearful expectation of judgment. In verse 31, it says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. How much better is what he's saying? How much better then to fall into the arms of a loving God? You should do that instead. Fall into the arms of a loving God who is waiting for you and, and inviting you. See, one of the things that this section teaches us for our lives practically is that love cares enough to say something. Love cares enough to speak. So for all of us, I'm sure there are times in our lives when there's somebody that you care about and you see them going down a certain path or you see them doing something that's not good, that's going to hurt them or hurt other people. And, and maybe it's a spiritual thing, right? Maybe that person is a, is a great person, a nice person, they live in a great life. Uh, but Jesus, here's what Jesus said. He said, what does it benefit a person if they gain the whole world and yet lose their own soul? See, it's not just bad people who need Jesus. Good people need Jesus too. 
You know, it's not just drug addicts who live in trash cans and shoot drugs in their eyeballs and kill the president and go to jail. It's not just those people who need Jesus. It's also the accountants and the, uh, the preschool teachers, right? The nice people, the nurses, the scientists, the, the, everybody. It's all of us. And see, that's what evangelism is about. It's about caring enough about somebody to say something, to tell someone something that they need to know about who Jesus is and what he's done to give us hope in this life and beyond. Or maybe it's a situation that is not a spiritual situation so much as it's a physical, tangible situation. Somebody you know is doing something, they're crossing a line, they're going to a place that's not good, and they're doing things that are going to end up destroying them. And you need to say something, because that's, if you actually care enough, you will say something. Here's what the Bible requires of us and tells us to do. It tells us to speak the truth in love. Love requires us sometimes to speak the truth. That's what we've been talking about. But here's the thing. How you do it, how you speak the truth, absolutely matters. Like if you speak the truth, but you don't do it in a loving way, you can destroy a person. You can hurt them very deeply. And it's very easy for a person to say, you know, for us to say, well, you know, I just told them the truth, and if they don't like it, that's their problem. Well, no, it's not. It's actually your problem if you speak the truth in an unkind, unloving way. The Bible would say that is actually your problem. See, if you speak the truth in love, if you speak in love, but you don't tell them the truth, then you're not addressing the, the issue, the problem in their life. You won't actually be helping them. I, I like to put it this way. Truth without love is cruelty. But love without truth is just sentimentality. But speaking the truth in love, that's what God calls us to do as Christians. Okay, so let's move on to the next part. He talks about faith that has legs. So after giving them this strong warning in the first half of the section, the second half of the section, he talks about the importance of having a living faith. And he reminds them of their past, that there was a time in their lives when they endured a hard struggle with sufferings. They were mocked. They were ridiculed for their faith. Some of them were put in jail. Some of them were robbed because they were Christians. And he reminds them in verse 34, he says, you endured all of these things. And not only did you endure them, but you actually endured them joyfully. You had joy in your hearts as these things were happening to you because you knew that you had something, a better possession, he says, something that no one could ever take away from you, a treasure which moth and rust can never destroy, which no thief can break in and steal. You knew that you were loved by God, that you were forgiven, that you were made right with God, that you had eternal life. So you could say to people, hey, do your worst, man. Take, my, take away my stuff. Go ahead. Take it all. Call me names. Because I've got a treasure that you can't touch. Something that you can never take from me. So do your worst. Because you know what? In the end, that will only bring me closer to the treasure that I have. You know, at that time, the writer's saying, at this time in their life when they endured these things, he said, you had a faith that wasn't just theoretical. It was practical. It was a faith that had legs. It was a faith that affected the way that you lived. I just want to ask you that question. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you have faith that has legs, faith that affects the way that you live your life, faith that affects the decisions that you make? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says this incredible thing. Just let this sink in. He says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. See, this incredible treasure, the light of the knowledge of God's glory, it's inside of us, right? Inside of these bodies, these bodies that we have, they're like clay pots, right? They're not too shiny. They're kind of earthy, kind of dusty. 
and they're kind of rough around the edges. If you would look at us from the outside, you would never guess that dwelling within us, there's this incredible treasure inside of us. It reminds me of a story. Judges chapter 7, the Israelites were being oppressed by the Midianites. Midianites are basically harassing them, treating them bad. And God told Gideon to take 300 men, 300 men against 10,000 Midianites, right? Like that doesn't seem like a very good idea. But God says, I want you to take 300 men. But here's the thing. These 300 men, they weren't actually going to fight the Midianites themselves. See, here's what, here's what was going to happen. Each of these 300 men was given a torch and a big clay pot. And they, they went in the middle of the night. They snuck up on the Midianite camp. They were camping in this valley surrounded by hills on all the sides. And they, before they got into position, they lit their torches. And then they covered their torches with these big clay pots. And they carried these clay pots that had the torches inside of them to their position. They got in position silently. And then when, when Gideon gave the signal, everybody at the same time, crushed their clay pot. They broke their clay pot, which revealed the, the light from the torches inside. And then the Midianites woke up because they started shouting, right? That was the other thing they did. They started shouting as loud as they could. So the Midianites wake up and they look around and they're all disoriented and it's dark and they see this, all these lights around them and they figure that it's a huge army that the Israelites have come upon them and there's all this confusion and darkness and so they start fighting. Except they're not fighting the Israelites, they're fighting each other and they end up defeating themselves. Now, here's why I love that picture. Because this picture, there are these bright lights that are contained in these clay pots. Here's the thing. That correlates with what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's a picture of us. We are like clay pots, but we have this brilliant light of the knowledge of God inside of us. And here's what I want you to see. Sometimes, in order for the light to be revealed, the pot has to be broken. The clay pot has to be broken in order to reveal the light that's inside. In order, order for other people to see the light, sometimes the clay pot that is us has to be broken. You see, it's not necessarily when your life is going great and everything's going your way that the light of the knowledge of God's glory within you is going to be most visible to other people. Sometimes it's when you're broken. A lot of times it's in hardship. It's in defeat. It's in pain. That's when the brilliance of the light of the knowledge of God that is within you, it's when you're crushed. That's when it shines forth and becomes most visible to other people. That's when they can see the difference that the knowledge of the glory of God makes in your life. That's when the hope that you have in Jesus becomes the most visible, the most profound, the most obvious to other people around you. And Paul says this, because of the hope that we have in Jesus, he says, this is what it means to be a Christian. It means that even when you're sorrowful, you're always rejoicing. Even when you're poor, yet you're making many rich. It, even when you have nothing, you possess everything. See, that's what the writer's talking about here in Hebrews chapter 10. He says, there was a time, man, there was a time in your life when you exhibited, you seemed to exhibit at least, Real faith in Jesus. And yet here you are, and you're about to throw it all away. Notice what he says in verse 35. He says, don't throw away the confidence that you have, which has such a great reward. That confidence that has a great reward is faith and trust in Jesus, which has as its reward salvation, redemption, forgiveness, eternal life. You know, one of the questions that people tend to ask about this section here in Hebrews chapter 10, the question they always ask is, well, so is this saying that you can lose your salvation. Like you can have salvation and then you can lose it. Now what I would say is, I, I don't like the term. I don't like the terminology. I don't like that phrase, losing your salvation, because it sounds like it's something that can happen to you, like against your will. Kind of like how I lost my keys or 
I lost my kids again in the grocery store, right? It just kind of happens. And, you know, like, oh, no, I, I lost my salvation. But that's not the wording he uses here. Notice the wording he uses here. He doesn't talk about losing something. He talks about throwing it away. He talks about intentionality and deliberateness. So here's the thing. To a person who is struggling with their faith, and they feel like, man, they're like a smoldering wick, right? Like they're just barely hanging on. They're barely there at all. I would encourage that person to read the, the chapters before this. And I would say, hey, man, even if you're struggling, don't forget this, that it's God. It, you may have a hard time holding on to him, but he's holding on to you. Let your faith and your trust be in that. That's the good news. He's holding on to you. He's not going to let you go if you're his. His grip on you is firm, and he will never let you go. But to the person this is written to, this is written to a different person, you see? This passage is written to a person who doesn't care, who's indifferent, who just kind of, meh. And to that person, the Bible doesn't give assurance. Rather, it gives a warning. It tells you, you need to examine yourself to see if you really are in the faith. Because, man, if you, if you don't talk like a duck, if you don't walk like a duck, then maybe you need to seriously ask yourself if you are a duck. And that's the exact point that he's making here. In verse 38, he quotes from Habakkuk, the Old Testament prophet, who said this phrase, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, this is quoted three times in the New Testament. One of the times is here. The other time is in Romans chapter 1. The other one is in Galatians chapter 3. But what's interesting is that each time that passage is quoted, it's quoted with a different emphasis. So in Romans, the focus is on faith. The righteous shall live by faith. In Galatians, the focus is on righteousness. The righteous shall live by faith, right? And here in Hebrews, the focus is on living. The righteous shall live by faith. Real faith has legs. Real faith shows itself, manifests itself in the way that you live. And so that's what I'd say to you in closing. God has a life for you to live. He has a life for you to live, a life that is based, uh, that is lived by faith in Jesus, the Son of God. And he warns us here about the consequence of rejecting Jesus. And now he's reminding us, though, of the hope that we have in Jesus. So he concludes very confidently in verse 39. He says, but we are not those who draw back to perdition. We are those who believe to the saving of the soul. My prayer for us today is that those words would be true. Those words would be written over our lives and they would be true of us. Notice there in verse 39, it says, those who have faith or those who believe. You notice the verb tense there. It's in the present tense. It's not in the past tense. He doesn't say, you know, those of you who have believed at one time in your life, nor is it in the future tense, those of you who will believe someday. No, he says right now. It's in the present tense. And that's what I want to leave you with this morning. This verse sums up really everything that we've talked about this morning. I want, you, I want to conclude by asking you this question. Do you have faith that is in the present tense? Do you have faith today? And maybe there are some of you here today who you did believe, you did have faith at one time in your life. There was a time when you put your faith in Jesus and what he did for you. That's good. But that past tense faith isn't going to cut it. What you need is present tense faith. You need faith today. There might be some who say, well, you know, I mean, I don't really have that faith now, but I'm planning on it. I'm planning on it. You know, I see that in my future at some point. Someday I'll, I'll believe. Someday I'll, I'll take that step and, and take the plunge and put down my yes and, and have active living faith in Jesus. Someday. But again, I want to remind you, that's what this is saying here. Neither past tense faith nor future tense faith will cut it for us. What we need is present tense faith. Faith for today. And as we read earlier in the book of Hebrews, today is the day of salvation. So I want to encourage you, trust in Jesus today. Whether you're new to Christianity or whether you've been a Christian for a long time, 
Look to Jesus today and see God's love for you. See what he has done for you in Christ so you can be saved. And today, believe to the saving of the soul. Amen? Lord, we thank you for your love for us. Lord, thank you for the salvation that you have given us in Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would be those who don't trample it underfoot, who don't profane the blood of the covenant and take it as something uh, common. And Lord, I pray for us too that we, we wouldn't be those who outrage the spirit of grace, but when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and drawing us to Jesus and reminding us of the gospel, Lord, we would be those who respond in faith. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would have faith for today. Lord, if there's anyone who says, you know, I did at one time in the past, but I'm just not sure about right now. Lord, I pray that today would be the day when they say, no, I, I renew that. I put my faith and trust in Jesus today. If there's someone who says, you know, I, I was planning on it someday. I'll probably do it. But Lord, I pray you'd impress upon them. Today is the day of salvation. May they put, your, put their faith in you today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.